Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Good morning, Contrast. Hope you guys are doing well. Happy Sunday. Uh, my name is Adam Baltz. As Trey said, I am his brother-in-law. Uh, I am very blessed to be here. Uh, we, we love Contrast. Um, a little bit about me before we get started. Uh, I met Hannah, my wife, who you've probably seen. She's on staff here at Contrast. Uh, when I was 18, we dated. Uh, for a while, we got married. And then after we got married, we moved to California. And I was a youth pastor for five years in California. The Lord moved us to Detroit, and then I was youth pastor for three years in Detroit, and then the Lord moved us to Columbus, so the Lord does a lot of moving in our lives. Um, and since then, so we've been here about a year and a half, and Columbus has been such a great home. It feels like home to us now, uh, and we love contrast in this place, and we've just been so grateful for this community and all the people here. So that's a little bit about me. Um, but I'm excited to be here today. Uh, getting into God's Word is one of my favorite things to do. As a youth pastor, I got to do it all the time. But obviously, I was talking to junior high and high school students, which is much different than this crowd. Uh, they were probably a lot more mean than you guys are going to be. But um, either way, um, oh, I'll just say this. What's interesting is God, God has a way of doing small things uh, in your life. And if you're not listening closely enough, sometimes you miss it. Right? And so sometimes you have to be like really cognizant of what's happening. One of those things happened this morning when we uh, sang that first song, which is based on Romans 8.28, which is like one of my life verses. Right? Uh, it's kind of a common one that doesn't make me special. I think a lot of people love that verse. Uh, you know, um, but it's this beautiful verse. And that song does a really good job of like breaking apart what's going on there. One of my favorite lyrics in that song is like, you are the artist. Uh, you know, the, you know the, the potter and the clay, and it's like this image of taking like bad, nasty things and fixing it and making it beautiful. And I just had this thought of like, it feels like every time I mess up, it feels like I just visually or emotionally put like a nasty tattoo on my skin, and it feels that way. And it's like you know when people get bad tattoos, and ten years later they have like a really good artist come and fix it and make it look better. And I almost feel like God's like every time I get a bad tattoo, God's like, no, I got it, and like makes that tattoo better. And like He's just the artist in our lives that takes the bad things and like fixes it. I think that's pretty cool. Um, that being said, I am going to pray, and then we'll get into that really thick passage that we just read. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, the weather that we're going to get, the rain that we need so badly. Lord, I pray that you are with us in this room, Lord, that your spirit would fill this room, that you would open our hearts and our minds and soften them, that we may be receptive to your word. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to read through that passage again, but I'm going to break it into three sections, so bear with me. Also, uh, I tend to stick, stay to the NIV when I preach, so it's a little different from what they did up there. Sorry. Uh, so if you're like, that's a different passage, it's not. It's just a different translation. Um, okay, so this is James 1, uh, picking up in verse 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, an evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. All right, so we are in James this whole summer, which is going to be great. Uh, James is a book full of action and passion. Uh, James, we know, uh, Trey talked about James a little bit last week about who James was. We know that he was the brother of Jesus. Um, James uh, was martyred for his faith, uh, so definitely walked out his faith in a very real way. James experienced a lot of things. 
Um, he personally understands what it means to suffer, how pain makes us vulnerable to shame, doubt, lust, deception, anger, and pride. Um, we're going to get back to a little bit of what, you know, how James is writing this letter. Uh, James does not pull punches at all throughout all of this letter that he writes. Um, but he starts this first part of it uh, talking about anger. Uh, anger is a very human emotion. I don't think you can say that you've never felt anger in your life. That'd be pretty amazing to say. Uh, but anger is something that we've all felt at some level and degree. Uh, and uh, I was just thinking about like what makes me angry and like how I experience anger. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of common things that make people angry, uh, like bad drivers. I think most people can say they've had an experience on the road that caused them to feel anger. Hopefully not like driving people off the road with rage. But we've all, Columbus has some bad drivers, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I drive a lot for my job, and I drove a lot for my job in Detroit, and uh, I don't know, Detroit and Columbus are close for having really bad drivers. Um, there are a couple things that people get angry about. Long lines. Uh, long lines can be really frustrating, especially traffic long lines. Um, broken things. I don't know if you've ever had experience where something breaks and then you fix it and you find yourself fixing it on a regular basis because it keeps breaking and you just like just get so mad. Uh, that happens a lot with our toys from our children, and I'm like, why can't we just throw this away? But then it would break their hearts. Um, you know, and then as we get deeper and deeper into what really, you know, some of those things are kind of more shallow levels of anger, but then we get to, like, the mistreatment of humans, and that, that makes me mad. I'm sure it makes you mad. You don't want to see other people get mistreated. It doesn't feel fair. You're like, well, who are these people? Why, why is the world so bad? You know, you watch movies uh, where there's just, like, violence and anger and just mean people, and you're like, what? Who did this to you, you know? Like, who, who did you wrong enough to make you so mean to people? And it's, it makes me mad. I'm like, why do we live in a world like this that is so angering? Um, but but we, we deal with anger on, on a daily basis, right? If we're, if we're honest, there are things, little tiny things throughout the day that make us angry. Uh, a couple days ago, I was uh, getting my youngest dressed for bed. We were putting on jammies. Uh, and uh, this is Elliot, if you've seen Elliot. He's usually the one that's sprinting back and forth throughout the whole church. Uh, so I was getting him dressed for jammies for the night, uh, and he is the squirmier of the two. He's my squirmy wormy, but I was trying to get pants on him, and he's just, legs are flying everywhere, and he was holding this, like, rubber rope. It's like, one of, it's like you know, those sticky hands that you can slap against a window, but it's a thicker version of that, just a rope, and he just loves squishy, gooey things. So I'm trying to get his pants on, and he's just going around, and he, I didn't realize he was doing this, but he was whipping it, which he knows he's not supposed to do, but he whips it, and it wrapped around my neck, and then slapped my unblinking eyeball. <laughs> so it hit my direct eyeball. And, I, and I, my body didn't have a time to like reflex react to like blink to protect my poor eyeball. It just directly hit my eyeball. And I love this child with all my heart, but my immediate reaction is like guttural rage. <laughs> you know, and like I'm not, I'm not about to toss this kid out the window, but I am angry, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever gotten hit in the eyeball without blinking, but it's not a fun experience. And like, at first you're like, Ah! And then you're like, all right, like I'm not, I'm okay, everything's fine. But it is a gut reaction, right? Sometimes we just, without even realizing or, or planning for it, this rage, and all of a sudden you're like, who am I? Like, just like Hulk just almost came out. But it's in there, right? That rage, that anger, it's part of being a human. Um, and so, and so how, how, how do we deal with that? Uh, that's a human reaction, right? But we know that as image bearers, that we have attributes of who our creator is, right? That's what Genesis talks about, that we are made in his image. And because of that, we have attributes of God that are built and woven into our you know, very making, which means that God also has anger, 
right? It means that, that if we have anger, if we have the attributes of, of these emotions and feelings, because God isn't an emotional God. God has feelings. God is, he is he's created emotions. So God then also has anger. You know, would we want to be in a relationship with someone who didn't have a range of emotions, right? If, if someone was only always this type of emotion, I think eventually you'd be like, why aren't you feeling all these other things that I'm also feeling? It'd be frustrating, right? And so it's almost healthy and almost beneficial that we see God get angry so that we can get kind of a template of like what anger should look like. How do we respond in anger? What does, how does anger get healthily walked out? Um, and uh, lucky, lucky for us, uh, we have a lot of good examples. But before we go into the examples um, of, of God's anger, one thing I think that is super, super important uh, is to understand who God is. Right? If we're, if we're going to talk about God uh, and we're going to talk about his attributes, uh, it's important to, to me at least to understand who God is. And, the, and Scripture actually gives us, God names himself many times throughout Scripture. He gives himself all kinds of names. Um, so I was like just doing some research on some of the most common popular names that God gives himself in Scripture. It actually kind of made me a little emotional as I'm reading them because they're super powerful. But uh, I'm going to read you probably about 18 of them, so bear with me. And also, I'll probably mispronounce some of them, but I'm going to go through these. So first is El Eloha, which means mighty, strong, prominent. Elohim, which means creator, mighty, strong. Elohim, supreme God, strong one, creator God. El Shaddai, God Almighty, all-sufficient one. El Elyon, most, most high God, supreme. Elroy, God who sees me, God of seeing. El Chayai, God of my life. El Chanun, gracious God. El Gabor, mighty God who rescues. El Alam, the everlasting eternal God. El Osa, God who, know, God who works wonders. El Kana, jealous God. El Sixmath Gil, God of my exceeding joy. El Hakadash, holy God. Sorry, I'm butchering them. Ha El Ham, faithful God. Elohai Chasti, God of steadfast love and kindness. Elohi Mikrav, God of nearness. And then finally, the most common known one is Yahweh, which means I am. Always will be, always have been, currently am. The reason why I, I name these is because th that's quite the resume of names, of to be called, to be known as. That is, that's who we're talking about. You know, like, we, we, you know, we have nicknames, we have attributes that people know us as, but that, it doesn't get any more all-encompassing of goodness than that, right? Jealous, but also all-forgiving and loving and knowing and seeing. All-seeing and the God that sees me is one of my favorites because no, it, it is one of the most healing and amazing feelings to be seen. Right? And we have this God that sees us. Right? So then we talk about God's anger. If he is all these things that he says he is, and yet he still gets angry, how do we justify that? How do we, how do we reconcile who God is with, with, with God's anger? So in the beginning of this passage, it says, slow to speak uh, and slow to become angry. Uh, part of that comes with wisdom and understanding. Uh, what, what, what I mean by that is I think we've all been in a situation where something made us angry. Uh, and then we just immediately reacted and said something. And then, like, if you go back and process the whole experience that that was, usually it comes with a little bit of regret if you just got reacted, shot from the hip, and said things you didn't really mean or said too meanly. And, and, and it's usually because you didn't take time to be slow to react. You know, I'm, I'm not, like, the wisest man in the world. I didn't come up with this. But usually people say, if you're angry, wait a day. 
right? And usually the reason behind that is because if you wait a day, it gives yourself a chance to process and come back and respond with usually, hopefully, more grace, more understanding, uh, more love. And, and I think James is hitting us with this. But, but let's talk about, let's go back to God's uh, anger, because I think it's really interesting um, to look at God's anger. So I'll, I'll list a couple stories. We're not going to get into all the scripture because it would just take forever. But one of the first and most common uh, examples of God's anger is the flood story. So, you know, in Genesis, uh, God, you know, God, Adam and Eve sin. Uh, God essentially kicks them out of the garden and he tells them to go populate. And so they kind of start doing their own thing. And eventually things just get so bad that God is grieved which is a big statement in itself. God is grieved about the state of humanity and the choices they're making that is literally causing God grief. And so God decides, I gotta, I gotta start over. Like, this is, this is too bad. And so he, he says, there's only one righteous man. He takes Noah and he wipes off the face of the planet, all human beings except for Noah and his family. And you can't tell me that th that didn't make him angry. And you see God in this anger and it's righteous anger, right? If God truly is who he is, who he says he is, who is holy, unblemished, righteous, that his anger there was justified, which is hard to reconcile because he literally wiped the face of the planet off and left just one family. But that's anger. Then that, that's God's righteous anger, right? Uh, and then we, we have the whole story with Pharaoh where, you know, God's people, God's chosen people, the Israelites get enslaved and mistreated and God is angry and God approaches Pharaoh through Moses, right? God uses Moses as, as his mouthpiece, and he gives Pharaoh so many chances to release the Israelites, so many chances. He uses Moses and tells him, essentially, like, you know, who, who God is and what he's going to do if he doesn't let his people go. And Moses essentially begs Pharaoh, like, please let our people go. God is stronger than you. And, and Pharaoh is unwilling and unable to see uh, that he is not himself a God, right? And, and one thing to pause that I think is really interesting to think about when we talk about anger is that usually when we get angry, it's usually because we feel wronged or we feel, you know, essentially our pride has been stepped on. Like when someone cuts us off on the road, you're like, how dare someone think they can just cut me off? Who are they? Or whatever. Or like when someone says something mean about you behind the back and you, behind your back and you find out about it, your pride is hurt, right? Usually anger is caused by unmet expectations of what you think you deserve. Right? And so when we go back to some of these angry uh, examples of God's anger, God does deserve these things. God deserves righteousness and holiness and, and faithfulness to him that, that he, he calls us to have. And we have the, these stories that, that God gets angry, like this next one, uh, a story which still has Moses in it. So if you go forward in Genesis, uh, actually this is in Exodus, but uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to go spend time with God uh, and all the Israelites and Aaron decided it'd be a great idea because they're bored and frustrated and feel neglected by God that they're going to make a golden calf. And so Moses is up on, on the mountain and God's like, hey, Moses, your people are being stupid and they're making idols. And so Moses is like, ah, oh, gosh, he comes down. And God's like, I'm going to smite him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And Moses is like, no, don't do it. Moses, and God's like, I'm going to do it. And Moses begs him, and God is righteously angry. He's upset. He just freed them, did all these amazing miracles, and God's like, and Moses is like, don't do it. You know? And so God does get angry at them, but Moses intercedes for them, and he forgives them. But imagine the anger that Moses had, or I'm sorry, God had toward the people after everything he had done for them. You know, it's the classic, don't bite the hand that feeds you, almost literally in this situation, and God is just angry. 
but yet he is slow and forgiving. Um, so, so what we're going to do uh, is end that part with the idea that human anger does not produce righteousness. That's, that's what our scripture tells us this morning, that human anger does not produce righteousness, which is why slow to respond usually almost always is the right answer because when you are slow, you are more like, like I said, to have grace, to be forgiving, to be kind. And those are, those are fruits of who God is. Those are attributes of who God, who God is, is kind, graceful, forgiving, understanding. And if we give it time and be slow, we are far more likely to be righteous in our anger and probably less vengeful and uh, use less attributes that are the opposite of who God is, if you know what I'm saying. And, and so it's one of those things where I take this verse very seriously that when I feel angry, I first have to ask myself, why am I angry? What is it about this situation that makes me angry? Is it my own arrogance that feels hurt? My own pride, my own hubris that's been stepped on? Do, do I deserve to be angry in this situation? Like, how would God feel if I just got angry at everyone every time they wronged me, but yet God has continually moved to forgive me every single day when I have stepped on God's righteousness, right? And it's, it's something that I think as we leave this, this today that we have to be cognizant and aware of not, not only just that our anger exists, but why we're angry and how we respond. All right, we're going to go to James, the second part of James section. So we're going to pick up in verse 22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Uh, so I am a 90s kid. I was a kid in the 90s. Uh, and because of that, uh, I naturally have a very uh, deep relationship with the movie Lion King. Uh, which is a fantastic movie, and I think it has a lot of interesting theological terms and things, not terms, but uh, implications in it. One, one of my, like, theories about life is that because we are made in the image of God, uh, we, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're a human being, you almost, especially if you're a writer or a movie director, you almost can't help but weave in the story of the gospel without even knowing it. And so if you watch movies, I mean, you can talk about, like, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, whatever it may be, there's always saviors and there's always, like, like sacrificial things that happen. And it's like humanity can't help itself but write the story of the gospel, even if they're trying not to. And just find, I think it's kind of ironic and honestly pretty funny. But in Lion King, uh, there's this scene. I don't know if we have a picture that we could pull up. There's this scene in Lion King. Do we have it? We don't have it. All right. <laughs> there's, this, there's this scene in Lion King where Simba, you know, he runs away. This is silly, but I think it's for saying. Um, there's this scene in Lion King where Simba, like, everything bad happens, and he just gets out of Dodge, right? He leaves, and he's, you know, Hakuna Matata in the jungle. And then his deceased father uh, starts speaking to him, and he, like, runs out in the field, and he's looking in this pond or a mirror. And, and, and Mufasa is like, remember who you are. And, and uh, Simba is like, oh, my gosh. Like, I have completely forgotten who I am. And then there's like this epic scene of him like running back through the jungle to go to like defeat the evil. And it's, and it's just like this great picture of like, he was the one true king and he just forgot. He knew it. He was growing up that way before uh, Mufasa unfortunately met his death off a cliff. Um, but he knew it and he just forgot. 
And he had to be reminded, and he has this, this epic realization of like, I, I do know who I am, and, and I need to live and be reminded on a regular basis of who I am and who I'm made to be. And, and this is exactly what James is talking about. It's like, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. You can, we can hear the word of God. We can hear scripture. We can hear worship songs on the radio. But like, is it always penetrating our hearts the way that we want it to? I think sometimes when we, when we are even diligent in our scripture reading um, and, and you know, trying to be around other believers and have conversations about God, sometimes we can get a little like, calloused to hearing who God is and figuring out what God is doing on our daily basis and what he's saying in those small moments that we forget. We're like the guy who looks in the mirror and turns away and immediately forgets our identity, our, our image-bearing identity of who God is in our lives, and we forget when we get angry that we're called, that we're called to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And, and, and there's this amazing verse. Uh, it says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay, so we talked about who God says he is. So we're going to talk a little bit about identity, because this is, in my opinion, what James is getting to, is massively important to the identity of humanity and its relationship to the identity of God the Father. Um, so I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, because they're a little lengthy, but um, Scripture also, just like I said, where it labels, where God labels himself, scripture also tells us who we are in relation to God. Um, so the first one I'm going to say is, the, uh, scripture tells us that we are uh, children of God. So in John 1, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human uh, decision, or of husband's will, but born to God. This is a really, really important verse because it is, it is what we call adoption in, in the theology world, right? Theological world. That God has adopted us into his family, and we are his children, right? I take care of my children as my own because they are my own, and I would never intentionally let anything bad happen to them, and I do everything I can to take care of them. And that's how God sees us, as a, his own children. And we walk in that light, we walk in that knowledge that that is my identity as as, as a children, child of God. All right, this is John 15. It says, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason why I'm reading this verse, and we talk about this verse a lot in the Christian world, that you know, he's the vine, we're the branches, that means that we're all one. We're all connected. And, and as we talk about this analogy of the vine and the branches, you know, the, the branches cannot succeed or produce fruit or be worth keeping at all if they are not connected to the branch. Uh, and so... As I think about this verse, I, I have to be constantly reminded that God is holy and perfect, but yet I'm directly connected to that, and I have access to that through the Holy Spirit, and that is who I am, which is powerful. Uh, I am justified and redeemed. So this is John 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The right, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justifi justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So ju justification is another theological term that we use, but justified means that no matter how many things I've done wrong, no matter how far I've strayed, when I turn to Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior, all of those are wiped clean, and I am white as snow. So that means that when, I walk through, when, when my son walks through the door of our house, 
no matter how many bad things he's done, I will always love him. And that's just my human nature. Like, because he's my son, I love him. But with God, it's so much bigger than that. That no matter how many things I've done in my heart that other people don't know about, no matter how many evil thoughts, how many times I've cheated, whatever it may be, every time I've done wrong, I walk through the doors of God's house and I am justified and forgiven and that's who I am. And if I don't live that way, I'm not living like I'm a son or daughter of God, which is sad because you are. It's, it's your choice to, to act that way. And when, I, when I'm fully justified and to fully live that way, I don't have to be riddled with shame and guilt and anger and frustration because life is short. It's too short, right? And if I live my life, my short years I have here on earth, letting myself get riddled with shame and guilt when I don't have to, you know, it, it's, it's sad. When we have this justification to live freely in the name of Jesus Christ, that's our identity. All right, number four, my old self was crucified with Christ, and I am no longer a slave to sin. This is one of my favorites. So this is Romans 6. So it says, we have been united with him in death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, this, this, is, this is important because I can choose to live in my old self. And sometimes my old self comes back, right? Sometimes it does. And it's really annoying and frustrating and I'm immediately aware of it. Uh, and it's something I have to be constantly pushing back. But I have been crucified with Christ, meaning that my old self does not have to take over. My old self can be gone if I live in the light and I'm aware that my old self has been crucified and I'm alive in Christ. And the older I get, uh, I think the more aware I get of that. You know, the more life you live, the more wrong things that you do, the more you are justified and forgiven, and the more you're aware that you have been crucified, your old self is gone. And you don't have to be a slave to your old self. I think it's comfortable sometimes to be our old self. I think it's easy uh, sometimes anger and fits of rage feel good. I think it's fun sometimes to let ourselves wallow, uh, but it's like, Scripture tells us, that's like a dog returning to its vomit, which is not a better option, right? That doesn't sound very pleasant to me. So if I want to truly live in, in who God has made me to be, knowing and reminding myself on a daily basis that I am dead to my old self and I'm alive in Christ, I don't know about you, but I'm hyper aware of my de deficiencies. I'm hyper aware of all the things that I'm not good at that make me not the most amazing person in the whole wide world. And the fact that I can get rid of those and live in Christ is very appealing to me. And, and, and that's a gift freely given that we are able to put away those bad things and be seen, known, and loved regardless, which is pretty cool. I'm an heir of Christ, new creature in Christ. I'm given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I'm made alive. So when I forget who I am, when I have to return back to Scripture, you know, that's what this verse is saying. It's like, don't forget. Don't be like the man in the mirror who looks at his face and then immediately turns around and forgets. You know, like, write it on your heart. Know it. Be reminded. Remind those around you. Um, okay. Uh, and, then, and then he ends this passage, you know, he, he says, uh, he talks about the perfect law. Let me go back to this. But he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay, so we have this mention of the perfect law. Um, 
What is the perfect law? So in Matthew 22, so this is, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Bold statement. You know, he's telling this to the Pharisees at this moment and the people, and, you know, they have memorized the Torah, most likely. They know scripture back and forth. They know God's word. And he's saying none of that matters unless you can follow these two laws, right? The, the, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, uh, and all your mind. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why I think this is like so cool is that the book of James itself is a book of action. James is not giving us hypotheticals. Uh, James is not saying, you know, really like fruity, fluffy things. He's like, no, do this. You know, James, James is giving us action items to take care of. And, and so God, he's referring to this verse where he makes it pretty plain and simple. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of our identity. That's who we are as Christians. That's how we operate as, as a unity uh, body of Christ, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And he actually uh, kind of comes back to this in the second part, or the third part, I should say. So in uh, verse 20, it says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, so I have what I might consider undiagnosed ADD, but I think a lot of people feel that way. It's just really easy to like feel like your brain is bouncing all the time, although I feel confident that I do, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, but, but what's interesting about the way that my brain works is that I usually speak before, or I usually speak before I think. So sometimes things just come out, and it's usually unrelated because my brain goes in t t different directions at all times throughout the day. And, and, and what, what happens is, is I you know, my, my tongue can get places where it shouldn't go, and I have to be careful with it. And, you know, J James is telling us, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You know, and, and that, that's harsh, because if I can't keep a tight rein on my tongue, everything that I think I am as a Christian is just worthless. That's, I mean, J James is slapping right now, but it, 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 it is, it's a little bit harsh. So it's like, okay... If James is serious, which I believe he is, and he is saying that if I can't keep a tight rein on my tongue, everything else I say I am is, is worthless, I, I have to really assess that. And I, I think, and J James does, I didn't want to steal whoever's thunder is coming up in James 3, because James 3 talks about the tongue again. Um, but what James is saying is your tongue is massively important, and you can tear down all of what your religion says it is with your tongue in, a, in an instant. Like, that's pretty scary, right? I, I know you've probably heard people that are in the Christian world say some things, like whether it be in politics or, you know, in public, and, and you're like, ooh, I wish you didn't say that. You know, you're like, that, that may not be exactly what Scripture meant. Or, you know, or, or, or I wish you didn't make those people feel that way. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and it's this tongue idea where, it can tear down what the world sees as religion and makes it completely worthless if you're not careful with what you say. 
Again, slow to speak, slow to anger. James is pounding this because it's so important. Right? We can tear down other people groups, stand on our holy rock and say we're Christians, and in an instant, tear down other people groups and remove them from God's kingdom with our hatred, with our inability to understand, with our inability to have empathy, without fully having righteous anger in doing it. And that, that's scary. And so I think this is a pretty big warning that when we speak, especially on the behalf of God Almighty, creator, maker of our souls, pretty important that we speak with kindness and take our time and process it and think through it, pray over it, and have righteous thoughts before we speak. Right? And it says in 27, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, so so the, the last part I think is funny, and I was talking with Trey about this, uh, but, but he says to look after the orphans and the widows and the distress. And what's funny is, not funny, it's actually sad, uh, is that James, you know, his mother was most likely a widow. We, we don't really know much about Joseph. Uh, he isn't really seen in any other parts of, of Scripture. And uh, usually they would be seen and heard or mentioned at the very least because, like, you know, the fathers were passed down. Uh, so he probably grew up with a widowed mother uh, and, you know, and then essentially, eventually would be an orphan when Mary eventually dies. So, so these are all things that are really close to James's heart. And he's saying, it's faultless, your religion is faultless, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This sounds a lot like love your neighbor as yourself, which is, not, which is the perfect law. Seems like it's all pretty connected, right? And, and, and so James is saying, watch your tongue. And if you really, really want to hear the essentially the antidote to the anger, if you want the medicine that's going to fix your anger, uh, essentially is to, to look out for all the people that are marginalized and don't be affected, and then he ends with this, don't be affected by the polluted world. That, that's a really frustrating one to end it on that because you're like, well, what does that mean? And like, how do I do that? How do I, how do I watch TV and not be polluted? I mean, you can't turn on almost anything without it just being filth, Right? It's just true. And it's like you can't, you can't listen to a song on the radio without being like, wouldn't want my grandma to hear that. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just hard to exist in the world without being polluted. I mean, even just having conversations with your friends, it, it, we, we as human beings who are fallen and sinful naturally just go towards, like, the, the wrong things of humanity. And, and so when, when I hear these things, when I, when I think about not being polluted by the world, as a dad who has children who are not fully corrupted yet. Uh, you know, it's, they are corrupted a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's easy for me to look at their innocence and, and just like almost just crave it. I, I see the goodness in them because uh, they don't know about bad things. Hannah and I were sitting in the car a couple days ago and we were like, they know nothing of the world at all. You know, and it's like this amazing innocence of, of they... They just want to be taken care of, loved, loved, held, and they are, most of the time, want to be good to other people. And, and, and you know, it's this lack of pollution in their heart and soul that they haven't really been grabbed, grabbed and snagged by the world yet. And, and, and scripture talks about childlike faith. You know, Jesus talks about having childlike faith, and it's something that I crave. You know, we, we talk about God to our children all the time. It's really fun and also sometimes really funny. Um, but our kids believe in God as if it was just fact. 
right? Like, because we've told them and they just took it as fact, right? Like, if you were to ask our children, uh, like, where do trees come from? They'd be like, God, you idiot. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's just how they think. Like, they, they just know that God exists, that he created all things, and that's just how it is. And that's childlike faith. That's a lack of pollution, uh, and I love that. And I, I think that's why, I think why humans, God designed humans to be so drawn to children, because there's something deep and powerful and beautiful that shows the, the original image of God yeah. in children, which is super cool. And, and, you know, James ends with this passage where he's saying, and whoever welcomes, uh, oh, I'm sorry, wrong part. And, uh, you know, he says, look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's like this little last section. It's like, dang, why do you got to throw that last part in there? Because it's really hard. Um, that being said, um, I, I just want to kind of end on the idea of, of action. You know, this is, I think, one of the reasons why Trey chose the book of James for summer, uh, because it is an action-filled book. Uh, I, I hope that as we read, as we went through the first part of James last week, and then as we end the second part of James, first, uh, first chapter of James today, you see that James is calling us to action. These are not hypotheticals, like I said. These are things he's saying, look after the orphans, watch your tongue, be slow to anger, slow to speak. These are directives. These are not fluffy things, these are saying, if, you, if you're going to have a religion that's not faultless, this is what it takes. This is what you got to do. And the other cool thing that I always feel when, when I study scripture and as I just ruminate on who God is, God's commandments, this is important, God, God's commandments are not to squash us, put us in a box, and make us feel powerless. Because it feels that way sometimes, if we're not careful. It can feel like God's commandments are just to keep us in a box, uh, make us like just little robots to be God's little army. Right? But actually, that's not the truth. That's what Satan wants you to think about God's commandments. That's not true. God's commandments are to protect us, to enrich our lives, to have an enriched relationship with him who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-good, all-forgiving. And those commandments allow us to step into that free relationship with God. And if we don't follow those commandments, we're missing the mark. And that makes God sad. But we're not going to be able to step into that right relationship with God until we understand who he is and who he made us to be. Because in the garden, when God made Adam and Eve, his, his ideal image of humanity was good, was kind, was forgiving, was loving. And sinful nature broke in, and, and God's saying, okay, the antidote to the sinful nature of humanity is God's righteousness. Like, if you, if you want to get back to the goodness of God, this is what it takes. This is what it is. And it's not a chore, it's a blessing. Right? If we live in God's goodness, I, I find when, when I'm in my healthiest state, when I'm closest to God, my anxiety is not near where it normally is. My anger, think, you, know, you could punch me right in the face and I'd be like, nice one. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an exaggeration. But, but the point is, though, is that when I'm truly walking in God's light, I mean, I, I know my wife would say this, when I'm at my healthiest, like, you just roll with the punches better because you have more grace. You're, you're less likely to just shoot from the hip. You have the more, more capacity to breathe, live, love, like explore and tell people who God is in, in a healthy way. And I think that's amazing. And that's what James is calling us to do. Um, so I am going to, I'm going to read our, I have some reflection questions. Uh, I know sometimes Trey reads them, sometimes he doesn't. I'm, I'm going to read them um, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close. 
I just want you to really, really think about these. Uh, the first one is, what, what takes me to an unhealthy place in anger? Uh, why does it make me so angry? What does it look like to let go of my anger? Am I aware of, of who God says I am? Am I willing to have childlike faith in the midst of a polluted world? Is my faith real without action? James is saying our relationship with God is at fault if we are not advocating for the marginalized. So we're going to go, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to go into some spiritual formation. Um, but if you want to bow your heads with me, well, we're going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to freely meet in your name. Lord, to freely open your word without being afraid of the consequences. Lord, and we pray for those around the world right now that do have consequences for opening your word. Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide them, protect them, give them wisdom as they, as they try to uh, chase after you, Lord. But Lord, I, I pray over everyone in this room right now that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves about the anger that dwells in our heart at this moment. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be honest about our own pride and hubris that allows that anger to creep in in an unhealthy way. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to have a tight rein on our tongue. Lord, that you would give us a second thought when we think we're about to say something that we might regret. Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and wherewithal to pull back for a second and keep that tight rein on our tongue so we can honor you with our tongue. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the boldness to really serve the marginalized. Lord, that we would find a reason and a moment in time to say, hey, I've got some free time. How can I serve? Lord, we know that you use this letter from James as a powerful tool to enact us to serve others, Lord, to love others deeply and to know you better. So, Lord, I pray that we leave this morning uh, feeling encouraged but also more aware of who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.